Welcome to Heart of Worship Church Podcast. For more podcasts, sermon videos, daily devotions, great new worship music, and more, be sure to download our app by searching Heart of Worship Church in the App Store or Google Play, or visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com. You know, we oftentimes read scriptures and we see them as these short burst encounters or a story here and there, but seldomly do we follow a theme or a thread through the story, remembering that these were people's actual lives, their actual testimonies and encounters. And God works things through our lives in seasons and situations to bring about a bigger picture and a larger lesson. So today I want to talk to you and I want to take you through a story that I think many of us overlook. We see each piece, but we rarely step back and look at the whole. And I think that when we do today, you'll find it very interesting. So to start this, I want to take you to John chapter 11, starting in verse 1. And we're going to read the encounter of Lazarus. Now, there's going to be a good bit of reading in this message because I want to take you through three different stories and show you exactly how they are connected. So in John chapter 11, verse 1, we read, Now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and his sister Martha. It is the Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Now it's important to notice, they're saying how much he loved this family, this lowly, despised, and rejected family. Yet once he heard that his dear friend was sick, he didn't rush to him. Remember, he said that he knew that this was being done for the glory of God. There was a reason in it. Right? It continues to say then that after that two days, he saith to his disciples, let us go into Judea again. His disciples saith unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou hither again? So Jesus answered them, Are there not twelve hours in a day? In other words, he's saying there's a limited time to do this. If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not. There's something that he needs to reveal to them while there is yet time to reveal it. Because he seeth the light of this world, which is Jesus. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. You see, this happened very soon before the crucifixion, and he was preparing them for what was coming while he was still yet with them. It continues to say, These things he said unto them, and after that he had said it unto them, he saith, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Then the disciples said, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death, but they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest in sleep. And I love this part. I can picture it. I can see Jesus there in all of his majesty. And he speaks so eloquently and so prophetically. 
and they do not understand at all what he is saying. It goes completely over their heads. So he shakes his head and steps back down into his humanity and just says plainly, Lazarus is dead. And then he says, but I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. To the intent ye may believe, nevertheless, let us go unto him. You see, he was doing this for them to build their faith for the resurrection. Then said Thomas unto his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. And of course, it is common teaching that the reason Jesus waited these four days was so that the people would know that he was not just unconscious, but that he had truly died and should have begun to decay. Now, Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs off. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Apparently, a lot of people knew of him. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give thee. So Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus saith unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary her sister secretly, saying, The Master is come, and calleth for thee. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. Now Jesus was not yet come into the town, but was in that place where Martha met him. The Jews then, which were with her in the house, and comforted her, when they saw Mary, that she rose up hastily and went out, followed her, saying, She goeth unto the grave to weep there. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was, and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Then Jesus, therefore, saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her. And he groaned in his spirit and was troubled, and said, Where have ye laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. I think he wept for many reasons right here. I think he wept in compassion for the grieving of his friends. And I think he wept in revelation of what his own family would endure soon through his own death and resurrection. However, those around when they saw him weeping, they knew that this was someone who was near and dear to his heart because they said, Behold, look how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? Jesus, therefore, again, groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. I think it's also a reminder that though God knows the end from the beginning and even when he has a purpose in trials and tribulation, he still weeps with us in those hard seasons and desperate situations. It continues to say, Jesus therefore groaning in himself cometh 
to the grave. It was a cave and a stone laid upon it. Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldest believe, thou should see the glory of God. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was lain. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I knew that thou heardest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot in grave clothes, and his face bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him, and let him go. And this part is very key. Pay attention to what happens. It says, Then many of the Jews which came to Mary, and had seen the things which Jesus did, believed on him. But some of them went their ways to the Pharisees, and told them what things Jesus had done and gathered the chief priest and the Pharisees a council and said, what do we? So you have to understand here that the chief priests at this time were Annas and Caiaphas. And they were also heads of the Sanhedrin, which was this council of both Sadducees and Pharisees. Now Caiaphas was a Sadducee. The Sadducee did not believe in the resurrection. They taught that only the first five books of the Torah, the books of Moses, were legitimate, but that all of the books of the prophets were not. So they did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. So to have this man, Jesus, who has been preaching and teaching the resurrection, to profess that he is the resurrection, proving the resurrection, and raising the dead, disproving all that they had been preaching. This was a problem to them. And rather than humble their hearts to the reality that God was bigger than they had limited him to be, they decided they needed to kill this truth before others began to believe it. So they said, What do we? For this man doth many miracles, if we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him. And Rome shall come and take away both our place and nation. They were afraid to lose their elevated pulpits. They were afraid to lose their pomp and position. They were afraid to lose their platform, their fame, the worship of their congregation. And so they plotted to hide the truth from them. It continues, and it says, One of them, named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, Ye know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and that a whole nation not perish. And this spake he not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation. 
and not for the nation only, but that also he should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. Then from that day forth they took counsel together for to put him to death. You see, Caiaphas, who was the high priest and the head of the Sanhedrin, and a Sadducee who did not believe in what Jesus was not only teaching, but proving by the manifest glory of God, made a statement in which he was saying that it would be better that we just put this man Jesus to death than we allow what he's doing to upset the whole religious structure that we've created and become so comfortable over. And we don't want to upset the Romans. We don't want to upset the enemy. We would just rather let this man pay the penalty. But he didn't even understand that the Lord God Almighty, because of the office of the high priest, had caused him to prophesy what was actually going to take place, that Jesus Christ would be that sacrificial lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world on that Passover, and that he himself would reconcile all the lost children of God back into the kingdom. But we also see that in this, did these men determine from this moment, from this miracle, to crucify him. Now we look at that and we say, how could these men stand in the face of such a mighty miracle as the resurrection of the dead and not believe in what Jesus said? But my friend, there are many in the religious establishment that do it to this day. They will stand in the face of manifest miracles and deny the very hand of God because of envy, because they don't want to lose the attention or the hold that they have on a congregation because that it disproves what they have been preaching. You see, I believe Jesus saw all of this coming, and I believe he even gave those Pharisees and Sadducees a warning. Because that encounter, that testimony in and of itself is amazing, and it's so full of God-breathed revelation. But I want to take you to another time when Jesus talked about a man named Lazarus. I want to take you to a parable, or at least we've been taught that it's a parable, or that it was hypothetical. But I think that what Jesus spoke here could have very likely been straightly prophetic. Watch this. Turn with me to Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 19, and we read of an account that happened quite a bit before the death and resurrection of Lazarus. Now, understand that if we had read a few verses back, we would see that Jesus was speaking directly to the Pharisees. Now, as of now, as it usually was, I'm sure there was a crowd around that he was ministering to, but directly he addressed the Pharisees who were there. So what he was speaking was not only teaching the disciples and the people around him, but it was prophesying, I believe, to the priest. And I think very probably Caiaphas himself, the ones who would later make this decision to crucify him for raising Lazarus. Because Jesus gives this analogy. While we began our reading of the story of the other Lazarus, it began now a certain sick man. But here when we begin to read this account, it begins now there was a certain rich man. 
which was clothed in purple and fine linen. Now understand that Jesus is saying this in the face of the priests. And we have to understand that according to Exodus chapter 28, verse 8, the garments of a priest, it says, are to be made of gold, of blue, of purple, of scarlet, and fine linen. So I believe those priests standing before him, and most likely the people around him, would have known that he was truly talking about them. So it says, a certain rich man, which was clothed in purple and fine linen, and fared sumptuously each day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate, full of sores. So here we have a sick man named Lazarus at the gate of this rich man, dressed as a priest. And this sick man, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died. Oh, Lazarus dies. And was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also eventually dies and was buried. And in hell, he lifts up his eyes, being in torment and seeing Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he crieth and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I think it's significant that of all of the torment that he must have been experiencing, the pinnacle of it seemed to be on his tongue. This rich man that was dressed as a priest was being punished greatly, if not in part, for the things that he was speaking, it would seem. For I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus received evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from hence. Then said he, I pray thee therefore, then, Father, that thou wouldest send him, Lazarus, back from the dead, to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Now here's a very interesting historical fact. Caiaphas, the high priest, that decrees the death of both Jesus and Lazarus, because if you continue to read the story, he says that to stop the people from hearing the truth, they sought to kill Lazarus again, too. This same Caiaphas had a father-in-law, who was also a high priest, Annas, who had five sons, and they were all entangled in the lies of the Sadducees and the sins of the Pharisees, who did not want to give up their power over the people or recognize the validity of the miraculous 
workings of God through resurrection and healing and miracles and that God could personally speak to people without needing to go through them to do it. You see, I surmise that it is quite possible, though we cannot say for sure, that Jesus was speaking to Caiaphas prophetically about this man Lazarus. That though he had preached against the resurrection, that there would be a day that he would look up from hell and beg for Lazarus to be raised again, to go and warn his father and his five brethren because he knew that they were coming to meet him because he knew what they and he had been preaching. So Abraham saith unto him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear him understand that they were Sadducees. They did not believe in the writings of the prophets. But Abraham endorsed it and said they should have believed what the word of God said, that God is a God of the miraculous. But the rich man said, Nay, Father Abraham, he knew they would not believe the writings of the prophets. He said, But if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Remember that this parable was given before Lazarus died. And it happened the way Jesus said, though Lazarus was raised from the dead, these rich men in fine purple linen still did not believe what the Lord had emphatically proven to them. In fact, they denied through two resurrections. And not only those two, because it is recorded in scripture that when Christ was raised, that many of the saints were seen walking the streets for several days. They saw the proof of the resurrection. They simply refused to profess it because they didn't want to give up their control over the congregation and admit that there was no truth in what they had been preaching. Lazarus proved that the resurrection was real. This is what Caiaphas was so afraid of, why he ordered him to be killed. This is what he was so scared that the people would believe when he put forth the decree to kill Jesus. Rather than humble and repent and come into the light of the truth, he determined to kill the truth before it could dethrone him from his pedestal of error and lies. This is how far pride and the doctrines of demons will take you. Yet I believe even for him did God move to prove the truth of the resurrection. Because he did send Lazarus back from the dead to testify unto the rich man and his brethren. Even though they determined to kill him for it. The very act of raising Lazarus from the dead set in motion the events that would lead to his own crucifixion. And Jesus knew that it would. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, he knew it before he tarried to come back and raise Lazarus. He knew it 
before he gave this parable to the priest that he knew would send forth this wicked decree. Yet he did it anyway. What love. What humility in the face of a people that he knew and he proved that he knew would not believe. And so maybe it was just the parable. Or maybe Jesus was making a point that the Sadducees would later understand and believe. Or maybe he was just pointing out a reality that they could not yet see. But he could, looking through the eyes that have seen eternity. But we're not through yet. Because now I want us to skip ahead to another time, a little further down the road, after Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, where we can see this reality come back again to confront these same men. Turn with me to Acts chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 1, but I'm going to give you a little bit of a backdrop. You see, if you go back to chapter 3, you will read that after the day of Pentecost had fully come and the Holy Spirit had been given, the disciples had gone out around the temple and began to preach Jesus, the resurrection and the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the power that it causes to indwell within us with signs, wonders, and giftings to perform. And while they walked past the gate beautiful, there was a man who laid there. This man had been lame. Now it's an interesting thing because it says specifically that he was about 40 years of age and that he had come daily to seek alms because he could not work. He would beg for money. But the thing is, is that that would have put him there in the time of Jesus. There must have been a many a day that Jesus came to that temple that he just walked right by and didn't heal this man no matter how much he cried. You see, there's always a reason and a timing and a season for the things that God does because it says Jesus never did anything of his own feelings. He followed the leading of the Holy Spirit. He did what God told him to do because there was purpose in it. You see, I began this message telling you about a man, Lazarus, who Jesus intentionally delayed his healing because it was for a time, a season, and a reason for the glory and purposes of God. And I'm going to conclude it with this man who Jesus also intentionally denied his healing because it was for a time, a season, and a reason for the glory and purposes of God. And it's going to conclude this story with these priests. You see, our miracles are never really for us. They're to prove the validity of what God speaks to us and for his glory among us. So these disciples, they went around preaching Jesus and the resurrection because that is what had so much been contested. But now that the Holy Spirit had been given and there were signs, wonders, miracles, healings, all of these things were being manifested to make them a witness to back up and draw attention to this message. So they were preaching it with all that they had and people were beginning to believe it. So understand that by this time, the Sadducees and the high priests have witnessed two miracle resurrections or more, but they are still preaching against it and trying to silence those that were walking in the power of it, which is where we pick up in verse one, because that the disciples had come to this man who was asking for alms and they said, silver and gold, have we not? But that which we have, we have been freely given. We will freely give here, receive, rise up and walk. And he was healed in that same hour. And the beauty of it is, is that he had been there so long, crying out so loud. And everybody knew that this was true. 
And so it says in verse one, and as they spake unto the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came unto them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus, the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold unto the next day, for it was now even tied. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about five thousand. And it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest. So we're looking at Caiaphas, the rich man, the high priest, his father, Annas, Annas's five sons, the five brethren. They're all there right now. To witness this. One more chance for someone to testify of the miraculous power of he who is the resurrection. What mercy our God brings even to the wicked. It says, And all the kindred of the high priests were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have ye done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, and I love it, because Peter, the same Peter that denied Christ and ran before the infilling, now that he's been empowered to be a witness, he comes up boldly, full of the Holy Ghost, and he says to them, You rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. He is saying this in the face of the Sadducees who have murdered to deny the reality of the resurrection. Listen to what Peter is preaching. By this same Christ whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone that was set at naught of you builders, which is become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation by any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Can you see it? These fishermen, these no-name men who stood on the other side of the resurrection, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. They stood in the face of these scribes, these Pharisees, and these Sadducees, all of these highly educated men, the Sanhedrin, all around about them. And they professed boldly the truth that God had proved to them. And these men looked at them and they said, there's no way they can do what they're doing. They must have been with Jesus. They knew there was something about this Jesus. And behold, the man which was healed, standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? 
for that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. Too many had seen it. Yet still would they not bow to the truth of the miraculous power, the divinity, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. They wouldn't give up their deceits, their doctrines of demons, or their elevated pulpits. Even though so many times God in his mercy proved it to them. Because they then said this, but that this spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth no more in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than to God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. You see what's happening here? Caiaphas was the high priest that the world system appointed. He was the counterfeit because Christ was the true high priest that God had anointed. Caiaphas was a type of the Antichrist. He rejected the truth over and over again. He chose to be used by that very spirit of Antichrist that Paul said was already in the world. And what does the scripture say about how this thing is overcome? It says that he is overcome by the blood of the lamb. What Jesus did on Mount Calvary that day by Caiaphas's own decree of envy and by the word of our testimony, what Peter and the other disciples did that day at the temple when they stood filled with the Holy Spirit and gave witness and spoke what they had seen and heard, what had happened to them and through them, backed up by the manifestation of the power of God's grace poured out in that place because the scripture says that we overcome the enemy by the blood of the lamb the word of our testimony and because they loved not their own lives even unto the death these men were willing to stand and profess even though all that stood before them and against them could have killed them for it and surely wanted to for they had done it to Jesus but because all men had seen it they could do nothing about it. So my friend, believe and preach. Don't let the enemy silence your testimony. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. For the man was above 40 years old on whom the miracle of healing was shown. And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David hast said, why did the heavens rage and the people imagine vain 
things. The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ and of a truth against thy holy child Jesus whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done in the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken, where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. This is the encompassment of the story of God's great mercy to Caiaphas. Even though from the beginning, Jesus prophesied that he would reject it and not believe it. Some men, ungodly men, laden with pride, will cling to lies, even in the face of God's greatest mercies, to hold on to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. Those who have fallen to the devil's temptations in the wilderness and accepted his counterfeit pulpits, his pinnacles, his elevated stages and places of vainglory will always envy those lowly men chosen by God in forgotten places to carry his presence, to be his temple, to manifest his glory to deliver his message and to manifest the power of the kingdom that endorses it. God chooses the humble. God chooses the lowly. God chooses the correctable, the teachable, the reachable, the Lazaruses, the Peters, the Johns. And then he takes them through hard and trying seasons so that when the time comes, he can release them to preach a message of resurrection. And sometimes he'll send you to preach it to the very ones who have been preaching against it. Lord, we come before you and we thank you for this revelation, God, and we ask you that you would give us the steadfastness and the boldness that is given only by your Holy Spirit that these men experienced, Lord, that you would come and infill us and indwell us, Lord. Put your message and your word and your truth within us, Lord, that when it comes out, it will cause men to know that though we are unlearned and ignorant men, though we come from a place of small beginnings, they will say, look at this, they must have been with Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your mercy on the unbelieving that so many times you caused them to see the reality of what you were teaching. Lord, that you gave multiple chances even though they always rejected them. But Lord, even in the midst of it, you used it to prove it to so many around them. Lord, we pray that you move to reveal truth 
to the congregations that are being misled by the Annases and the Caiaphases of our day. Lord, that you would tear down the doctrines of demons preaching unbelief. Because God, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You are mighty to save. You are still a miracle working God. You are a God of resurrection power, not just in the past and not just in the future. Like Martha stated, Lord, but you said, I am the resurrection. And if the same power that raised you from the dead lives inside of me, then there is resurrection power today and continually. Lord, there is power to meet every need. There is power to save. There is power to set free. There is power to heal. There is power to prove that you're real, that you are the son of God, Jesus Christ, that you came in the flesh, that you lived and you died and you were resurrected from the dead, that you are deity, that you are the Messiah, that you are the king that was prophesied from the root of David and that you have come to make a way for all kindreds, tongues, and nations to be brought in to the family of God. Lord, give us the revelation. Give us your spirit that will give us the boldness to speak it and then send us out to every tribe, tongue, and nation to preach it. Thank you for listening to Heart of Worship Church podcast. For more podcasts, sermon videos, daily devotions, great new worship music, and more, be sure to download our app by searching Heart of Worship Church in the App Store or Google Play, or visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com.